on podcasting world and welcome back to another episode of the core consult rx podcast and it's episode 53 53 wow wow we have a, another special guest we do in our quote-unquote studio we were actually we were thinking about skipping a guest episode because we had so many guests on recently but mm-hmm. then we were like well this is my wife so we definitely want to have her on <laughs> there you go <laughs> So Cole's favorite guest we've had on so far, most likely. Yeah, definitely top two. So. Nah, just <laughs> I don't know. There's been a couple of cool dudes on here that have yeah. really, really showed us how much smarter they are than we are. But today we have a PA Anna Anna Swanson. Boom. Uh, Did you almost call her by her maiden yeah, name? Yeah. Well, we're in the process of getting it switched. So technically, I guess I still call my my wife by her maiden name <laughs> six years later no <laughs> by accident. Yeah, I just do have a habit. So it's all good. No worries. Yeah. So Anna, how's life treating you? Good. What are you doing these days? I am doing a fellowship in neurology right now. Heck yeah. It's pretty fun. Yeah. Is it awesome? It is. It is. I'm seeing patients in follow-up clinic and new patient clinics as well with attending physicians. It's been pretty neat. Have you enjoyed it? I have. We've seen some very interesting cases, Uh some interesting migraine cases, Uh Uh along with some some cases that you don't really learn about in PA school. Right. So what's been the hardest part? kind of transitioning from student to you're the one kind of steering the ship. Yeah. Um, so just taking ownership mm-hmm. when you go into a patient's room and knowing that, you know, at some point, even though this is a fellowship, I will be the one seeing and treating that patient on my own. Right now, um, I have an attending that I go out and talk to about the patient after seeing them and examining them. And then we go in and talk to them about a plan. Um, but just that, just transitioning from being like a student to having ownership of the patient's case and their treatment. Very cool. Yeah. Did you uh, want to do something in neurology before you started? I did. Actually, before PA school, I worked in an assisted living facility with um, patients who had Alzheimer's disease and dementia. Hmm. So that really interested me in neurology. And then throughout PA school, I did an elective rotation in neurology. And here I am now doing a fellowship in it. So that's all awesome. full circle. And it's a first-year fellowship for the program, too. So. Mm-hmm. Oh, is it? It's cool that you that. got it. Yeah, yeah it is. That's awesome. Yeah. How many, are you the only one? There's three of us, okay, including cool. myself. That's yeah. awesome. Are you planning on, obviously, sticking in that field when you get done? Is there a certain area of neurology that you like, or do you want to kind of see everything? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so I love memory clinic. Mm-hmm. Um, we do that every other Friday, and we see a lot of patients with, like, Alzheimer's disease or frontotemporal dementia, things like that. Um, so I like the memory clinic that we do, and then I also enjoy general neurology as well. You see lots of different cases in that that subspecialty, I guess. Yeah. Did you see the? Uh, it's like a spinoff of the sprint trial where they are looking at like blood pressure lowering and actually improving um, outcomes with dementia patients no, based I did on not. blood pressure goals. Huh. I think it just came out like a week or so ago, so it's pretty new. Um, I haven't even read all the way through, but um, one of our old professors, Dr. Wirt, he's, uh, I ran into him today, and he was all excited to tell me about <laughs> it, and I was like, I haven't read it, so I, was, I, was like, I let him <laughs> down. Course. I let him down. Do you, you send that to me. I, I don't know that it, there's not, it's not often that somebody can get the jump on Dr. Wirt on anything yeah. as far, it's fascinating to me how he gets a hold of this stuff before anybody else in the world does. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sticks right. No matter yeah. how hard you try, he will just come up with something that you hadn't heard about. Oh, um, every that time. came out like 12 hours ago or I something. Always, I always Well, go, did you see it? It came out three minutes ago, and yeah. Doing have you not read it? Right. Have you not heard of this? Well, my friend ran the study. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's where he's. I'm like, I knew about it three months ago. Yeah. Well, I, he was one of the. I was one of the lead investigators. <laughs> right. Shoot. I'll never catch him. 
Yeah, it's awesome to hear. I, yeah, we, I went to, uh, I had a student that was presenting at Grand Rounds that I oh, really? advised, so I, I ran into him and got to talk to him a little bit. So it was cool. Nice. He, he gave me like the f- real quick update on some of the new stuff that like just came out this week. And he's like, you haven't read all this stuff? I'm like, no, sorry. <laughs> did your uh, did your student nail it under your tutelage? She did. Well, that's not me. She just <laughs> she did awesome. I just kind of sort of give basic uh-huh. vague guidance yeah. <laughs> no she did awesome i was actually really proud of her too because one of the residents tried to uh kind of down and, and he was i think he was doing it to see if she would stick with her answer i don't think mm. he was doing it like maliciously wow. or anything but i was really worried because she was so nervous going into it but she's she did such a good job you know i was just hoping she realized she did a good job so he said so even with you know, with, you know, these statements and these guidelines, you'd still treat the patient that way? And she goes, yeah, I would. I was like, boom, <laughs> <laughs> sit down, kid. <laughs> it was awesome. I was super Good proud of her. And he literally it. stood up and he yelled that. In the I did, yeah. Right. It was, uh, that wasn't great. <laughs> Not professional, but. <laughs> that got kicked can, out. <laughs> yeah, I can't go back to Grand Rounds now. Oh, man. Yeah, so. Good job, Meredith, if you're listening. <laughs> so, yeah, she did Sweet. awesome. That cool. was cool. So how are we going to do this today? We're going to talk migraines. We're going to do migraines. Another neuro topic, of course. We have our neuro PA in here. Yeah. Um, yeah. We meant to bring her on for Parkinson's, but we're obviously short-sighted. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what happens when you plan the podcast six minutes before you start. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, so we're doing migraines. It's going to be more of an overview, um, kind of like our normal overview things. We haven't done one in like seven episodes probably. Yeah. Six. It's been... It's been I, uh, I miss been, it. I'm, I'm losing like track of where we've done what. But. Yeah, yeah. It's been because we had guests on, you know, yeah. interviewing guests. Love having guests, but um, yeah, I like our I like our overviews. Heck yeah, going through stuff, and then uh, soon we'll have some coming out on the new AFib guidelines as well. So another classic, mm, yep. classic guideline episode. So cool, classic guidelines. Bringing the heat today. Yeah, we are. Yeah, <laughs> something like that. <laughs> if we do say so ourselves. <laughs> So uh, where should we start, PA? You're the provider in the room, so let's you take the lead. Obviously, where yeah. do you want to start? We, we come in on the back end when when uh, once you, know, you guys have already done all the hard once work. You've done we all just kind of go, yeah, the the leg one, work. One, one of these three meds would be good. You guys say, hey, uh, is this okay? And we say, oh yeah, that's okay. Well, hey, you guys are helpful. Occasionally, we, have a, we say no. We have a pharmacist that works actually with the migraines and um, multiple sclerosis as well, and mm. she helps us coordinate all the specialty medications. Mm-hmm. Is she inpatient or is she is she in the clinic? She's in the clinic. Oh, nice. Mm-hmm. That's cool. awesome. How how is it with with the clinic with you guys? Do the pharmacists, if you have a clinical pharmacist like that with you guys, do you do collaborative practice? Like, just do you ever refer them for like? you know, lifestyle management or anything like that to the actual pharmacist or not so much gotcha. just, um, with the prior offs and everything that's involved gotcha. with getting a, a necessary specialty medication for people that have MS. Gotcha. It's, it's quite a lengthy process. Yeah. yeah, yeah I'm but sure she has her hands full doing that kind of thing mm-hmm. and recommendations. I would suppose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And that's, that's such a hard, like specific disease state. Yeah. I mean, I'm, yeah, yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. Well, cool. So where be. should we start? So maybe we should talk about just the prevalence first. Yeah, let's do it. So, I know my man Cole has some stats <laughs> ready. Oh, I got some stats ready. Let's see what you got. What you got, babe? Um, so migraines are actually most common in women. Correct. It's a three to one ratio, females to males. How prevalent is it in the world? Yeah, so at least in the U.S., it is more prevalent than I thought. I mean, you know, everybody says they got a migraine, but mm-hmm. I figured if you really broke it down, you know, maybe not everybody has migraines, but about 30 million people in the U.S. have one more migraine. Uh, headache a year and approximately yeah two-thirds around 75 percent ish are women um, but definitely the the vast majority um also the term migraine is derived from a greek word uh hemicrania 
the term was corrupted into like a low Latin word called hemigrania, and then the French mm. translated it to migraine. Very interesting. Haven't done word origin in quite some time either. And you forgot the uh, mm. <laughs> the word origin Ta-da. gong. Is that what that it's is? Too late, but that's fine. With that gong actually <laughs> symbolizes most things. I just forget what we what we associate it with. We just have to put it in before we do the thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, oh, we're well. not that coordinated. Next so. time. Yeah. Cool. That's interesting. Though. Where yeah. do you find these historical things? Because you always come come ready to go with them. And interwebs, man. Mm. Yeah. I don't, you know, you never know if they're true. They can make up whatever they want. <laughs> but we tell them anyway. We tell them. <laughs> <laughs> it becomes true when you tell it. Uh, that's uh, basically. That's what. It, that's I'm what. It, pretty sure that's what. The, impor- said. the important things are cited. The um. The, the <laughs> yeah. The actual guidelines of medicine right. are cited. The History. W- we're not historians. The, what do you want? The word us? derivatives. I know. What, what you're getting the stuff for free. Come right. on. Come on, guys. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I mean, a migraine, what is it? It's a complex um, recurrent headache disorder that is one of the most common complaints in medicine, whether it ends up being a migraine or not. Um, extremely common, right? But yeah, th- there's a lot of causes and we can go into causes, but uh, frequently, or at least historically, they've been considered a vascular phenomenon. Um, that's come, into some, kind of come under some scrutiny uh, recently. And uh, there, there seems to be a little more going on there, but we'll get into that a little more with the, with the patho. So, uh, what do migraine sufferers? What do they usually see? What, what, what are some symptoms, some triggers of migraines? So triggers, um, the most common triggers I see in clinic um, are typically emotional stress, yeah, um, hormones. There's a lot of catamenial or menses-related migraines, um, weather not eating, um, sleep disturbances, odors, and neck pain. Yeah. I guess hormonal contraceptives, they can, can they trigger them, I suppose? I, I was reading a little bit about that. They Have can make that? them worse. Um, so patients who are migraine sufferers, um, typically it's not recommended that they're put on a combined oral contraceptive. Gotcha. And so if, if they do and then their migraines get worse, you'd probably say, yeah, maybe we're going to take you off that thing. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, migraines can they frequently have a genetic component. So a lot of people, about 70% um, are going to have a first degree relative with a history of migraine. Um, and like she mentioned with the triggers, there's a lot of environmental and behavioral factors that can precipitate migraine attacks um, or, you know, at least predispose people to migraines. So we'll list some things as we go and kind of reference them, but uh, there's a lot of strange ones um, and it's going to be very patient specific, but I mean, I, you know, from from all sorts of random types of foods and smells and um, things happening outside and allergies and all sorts of stuff can trigger. So, you know, patient patient will tell you what that is, and you kind of got to work around that. Agreed. So, can we, uh, Anna, will you walk us through some of the you know basic path of stuff just so we can understand what a migraine is? Do you, you have some of that sure. available just out of curiosity? Why don't you take it away, Cole? Okay, I'll grab it. So, yeah, I mean, there's a few theories. So we talked about the vascular theory, and that's one of the older ones um, from, you know, the 40s and 50s. It was proposed um, to explain migraines, but they really didn't have a lot of good imaging and uh, neurologic studies back then. But it was based on um, either extracranial vessels becoming distended um, and pulsatile during the migraine attack. They could see that. Um, stimulation of intracranial vessels while a person was awake that induces a headache, um, and also vasoconstrictors like ergot derivatives, they would improve headaches. So they, they kind of um, went along that line and said, oh, well, if this helps, then maybe this has something to do with it. 
whereas vasodilators like nitroglycerin would provoke an attack. Um, but it didn't really explain like prodrome and associated features like that. Uh, it didn't explain the efficacy of some drugs that didn't have anything to do with the blood vessels. And so more recently they've said, okay, there's probably a little more going on than just vascular. So now they have the neurovascular theory, um, where it's a more complex series of neural and vascular events that initiate the migraine, um, it, meaning it's a primarily neurogenic process. Uh, with secondary changes in cerebral perfusion. Um, so a lot of times a migraineur or the person having the migraine um, has a state of really neuronal hyperexcitability in the cerebral cortex, um, specifically the occipital cortex. Uh, and this has been demonstrated on MRIs, and so that's kind of where they, they get this theory that it has more going on. So mm -hmm. generally that's... Um, that's how migraine works. Much and, more complex than it seems. Yeah, not as easy as the vasoconstriction, vasodilation, but I mean, that's a good way to, to at least think about it when you're thinking of the mechanism of action of some of these drugs, um, like triptans and ergots, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So why don't we talk about diagnostic criteria sure. for migraines? Um, I think that's really important. A lot of patients will come into our headache clinics saying that they have migraines um, when they've never actually been formally diagnosed with migraines. Yeah. They just hear through um, word of mouth that, oh, if you have really, really bad headaches, they must be migraines. Well, that's not the case always. Yeah, I mean, you hear from the lay person all the time that like, oh, I was having a terrible migraine yesterday, and sometimes they are. And we should say that migraines, as you've seen, are an incredibly debilitating and serious condition. Um, I mean, they can get to the point where people can't hardly leave their house mm -hmm. uh, because nothing is, is helping. So not to take lightly people complaining of migraines, uh, but it's just one of those things that people say when, mm -hmm. you know, they might mean something different. No, they're crippling. Um, yeah. Yeah. So diagnostic criteria. Um, typically the pain um, that patients feel is described as throbbing or pulsating. Mm -hmm. um, it can also be um, described as shooting or stabbing as well. Usually the pain is unilateral, meaning on one side, but sometimes it can also involve both sides of the head. Typically, the pain will last anywhere from four hours to 72 hours. Anything after 72 hours is considered status migranosis. Um, that happens in about less than 1% of people who have migraines. So that's a three-day migraine situation. Mm -hmm. That's pretty a bad, terrible. It's a bad three days. Yeah. Mm. And, um, and and has to last the four hours, right? Correct. So even if you have all these symptoms, but it's only for an hour, then that's technically not a migraine. Correct. Okay. <clears throat> so patients will also either have nausea or vomiting, um, photophobia or phonophobia, meaning sensitivity to light or sound. Right. And then they also have severe pain. We ask them to rate their pain that they experience down zero to 10, 10 being the worst pain you've ever felt. And usually they rate seven to 10 plus plus. Yeah. I get that a lot. Jeez. And, you know, it's interesting because a lot of times you'll, if, if you're asking, is this the worst headache you're ever, you've ever felt? I mean, if they say yes, a lot of times, aren't, I guess you work them up for... Subarachnoid hemorrhage. Right, yeah. yeah, that kind of thing, strokes and that sort of thing. Which is kind of scary. Usually if, you, if somebody has a subarachnoid hemorrhage, they say this is the worst headache I've ever had. Right. It, so I guess you have to, you, have to um, you know, put that on the, the differential and tease that out between migraines and 
something more serious. Depending on the history. If it's acute, if this is the first headache they've had and they have a history of like mild headaches, yeah. But if it's chronic, then usually we're leaning more towards migraine or some other primary headache syndrome. Gotcha. And isn't it, correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't it if uh, you see a person who's never had a history of migraines and now they're, they're presenting as a you know an elderly patient, mm-hmm. um, if that's probably more of a secondary cause, like something like a stroke or something like that? Typically, isn't it normally in the younger patients? Yeah, typically. Usually it'll present earlier in life. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of times in women it'll get better after menopause. Not always, though. Um, and those patients are usually really upset because that's the one thing they look forward to. <laughs> Can't wait for menopause. That's funny. Yeah. Um, so if somebody's older and they're newly presenting with headaches, severe headaches, migraines, um, usually neuroimaging is done, whether it be an MRI or CT. Does that is neuroimaging like that required if you do suspect it's just a migraine? Do they ever do that just to be on the safe side or is that just kind of like ruled out? Yeah, it depends on the patient's risk factors. Like I had a patient who had polycystic kidney disease, Mm -hmm. and so we ordered an MRA to make sure she didn't have a brain aneurysm as well. Um, So it really is just dependent on what the patients have and what their history is like as to whether or not we get imaging. But migraines is more of a clinical diagnosis than anything. Yeah, yeah. So it's hard to see on imaging. Mm -hmm. And it it doesn't put you at an increased risk for stroke long term. Is that... um, is that considered well-known or no? I read that somewhere and I don't know. I hadn't heard it a lot, but I figure it kind of makes sense because the vascular I think I've read situation. something about it, um, but I wouldn't stand okay. firm and back it up right now. Right. Wouldn't, wouldn't <laughs> I'll do it. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, that's kind of some of the criteria for migraine. Um, and I think like Cole was kind of saying is, you know, a lot of people will take their maybe tension headache that mm-hmm. they perceive as being bad, but not compared to what we see in the typical yeah. migraine sufferer. So can you, like, what's some of the differences you would look for for, like, a tension versus a cluster versus a migraine? Like, is there pretty distinguishing factors for yeah. those three? Yeah, so cluster headache um, typically occurs at night. Um, usually there's a family history sometimes. Um, it's more commonly in males as well. And that pain is usually excruciating, sharp, feels like an ice pick is dr- being driven into their eyes. You hear that. It's like a buzzword, but in real life. Ice pick being driven into their eyes. Mm-hmm. That's a buzzword. Hmm. Very. I mean, seriously, I've heard several patients say that and they hmm. do have That's cluster headaches. Unpleasant. Yeah. yeah. It's not ideal. And, and <laughs> not, cl- not what you want. No, not at all. And cluster headaches, um, they occur frequently. So when you have a bout of attacks, you'll have one to eight attacks a day for about three to 16 weeks. And you'll have about two of those bouts per year, one to two bouts per year. And I, I guess as opposed to a migraine, which they might say is like unilateral, a cluster, they would say like, I feel like it's behind this one spot, like behind my eye or something like that. Correct. And you usually have a lot of other autonomic symptoms as well, like congestion or ptosis, um, lacrimation, conjunctival injection, things like that, that kind of help you figure out what what headache this patient actually has. And cluster of like between migraine, tension, cluster is really going to be the the one that's more common in males, but the other headaches you're going to see more in females. Correct. Yeah. But we have seen it in females too. So don't, right. don't rule it out. Right. Yeah. Just a more, just a little more, mm-hmm. just a little more. Um, cool. Interesting. Yeah. And then tension headaches. Um, typically we ask a lot about the patient's background, what's going on in their life. Do they work? Are they under a lot of stress? Um, a lot of times with tension headaches or you see tension headaches in patients who 
are under high stress at work or at home or aren't getting a lot of sleep and aren't taking care of themselves in terms of mindfulness and, and just taking care of their body. Um, so we've had to correct a lot of migraine diagnoses before, believe it or not, um, and actually diagnose patients with tension-type headaches. So I guess that's going to change treatment. That's ultimately why you would want the diagnosis to be more accurate. Correct. Correct. Patients with tension-type headaches won't respond to triptans, right. the abortive Normal therapy Normal migraine used. abortive therapy, mm-hmm. which we'll get to soon. So if, if someone does seem to be having like tension headaches with because of a lot of stress in their lives and things like that, do you normally have to get psych involved at that point too? Or can you guys normally kind of just keep it in-house? Yeah, it depends. Um, it depends on what the social stressors are. I actually referred a patient to psychiatry for counseling because she had a lot of stressors in her life. Um, but a lot of times I'll refer them to physical therapy. A lot of times they have neck strain, they have a cervicogenic type headache picture, and they actually do really well with physical therapy and stretching hmm. and just taking care of themselves. That's cool. Interesting. You, yeah, I mean, you like to say frequently that there's a, a fine line between uh, neurology and psychiatry sometimes too. So Sometimes, yeah. Yeah, in certain yeah. situations. Cool. Yeah, we could do podcasts on tension headache and cluster headache. We could just take on all the headaches. Those would be really good headaches. ones. Yeah. Why not? Just do our headache suite, our sweet headache suite. We'll have a playlist, if you will. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Our headache playlist. Oh, man. I've heard some headache playlists, and that was supposed to be a joke about music, but it makes me sound old. Ha, ha, ha. Ha, ha. (laughs) Boom. (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, I think that's generally, so we didn't mention much about aura, but aura is something that you see with migraines as well. Um, The more common migraines are going to be um, without aura, but uh, it can occur, and you're, you're probably familiar with that. But um, it, aura and prodrome, well, those, those are two separate things, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so prodrome is after. Prodrome's before. Before, mm-hmm. okay, but it's different than aura. Right, aura is usually like visual field changes. They see these weird like spots in their vision, things like that. Um, sometimes they can have numbness in an arm or on a portion of their head it's really kind of a a catch-all sometimes yeah there's no clear defined aura so it's just something that the patient experienced and they say oh i know i'm gonna have a migraine because Mm -hmm. i experienced this and you're just gonna call that aura whatever it is exactly usually auras to start about 30 minutes before migraines i used to have a friend when i was a kid and if he was gonna vomit he knew because his um, lips would go like white, like all the blood would drain out of his lips. Poor thing. So he basically had a vomit aura. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> I wish I had like a, you know, bet the house aura. <laughs> right. I'd be like, now's the time. Strike. <laughs> it's coming. There it is. It's and full house. <laughs> full house. Yeah. And then it doesn't oh work at all. Oh, my gosh. So yeah, let's talk a little bit about um, treatment. So generally there's, there's two types you're going to have your acute treatment uh, which is going to aim to eliminate or at least prevent the progression of a headache or a migraine if it's happening um, and then you have preventative treatments which are given um, when the headache isn't actually happening so you want to reduce the frequency and severity of the migraines and make the acute attacks more responsive to the abortive or acute therapy right yep yeah so what, do you, what are you looking at what are, what are your first line if somebody just comes in with a migraine uh, they've what they've usually probably tried over the counter stuff for just headaches generally, right? Right. Usually they've tried Excedrin migraine or ibuprofen things like that. Um, but we what we usually prescribe are triptans. Um, those are usually very very um, 
patients with migraines are usually very responsive to triptans and there are several of them. Um, so do you like, like in, before you get to that point, do you like for patients to try the OTC stuff? Like you think Excedrin migraine works or you just think that's just some Tylenol and junk and might help, but probably won't. Well, fun fact, actually kind of sad fact, but pregnant women who have migraines, usually they can only take Tylenol. For abortive therapy, they can't be on any of the preventative medication that we'll talk about later. They can't really use any of the other abortive medications as well. Not good in pregnancy. So Tylenol is pretty much the only thing. So if you have chronic migraines and you're planning on getting pregnant, then it's just a tough situation for the most part. Mm -hmm. They don't even qualify for Botox therapy at that point. Really? Really. Does pregnancy potentially exacerbate migraines or anything? So usually it should make them better. Gotcha. Usually, because there's a hormonal component mm-hmm. to migraines, um, especially in women. So usually it makes it better, but I mean, I have several patients who still have migraines. Um, and we just have to sit there with them and try physical therapy, tell them to keep taking Tylenol, but within the recommended amount. Right. Um, and just plan on treating them afterwards with lactation-friendly medications. Yeah, migraines aren't really a predictable disease state. It's not like, okay, so we're going to give you this lisinopril, now we're going to increase the dose, and your blood pressure is going to go down. It doesn't really work that way, right? Yeah. Thankfully, we have a lot in the bag, though, to try with patients. Yeah, these days. And there's new stuff that we will get to later on as well. There's new stuff? There's new stuff. Yeah. Stabby things. (laughs) I don't get it. (laughs) Yeah, but uh, triptan, so there are a lot of them. The most common ones, at least I see, dispensing is uh, Imitrex, Sumatriptan, um, also Maxalt, which is Rizotriptan. Uh, but there's also Narotriptan, Zolmatriptan, Frovatriptan, um, Olmatriptan. I see a good amount of Relpax, which is Elitriptan. Uh, there's even a Sumatriptan mixed with Naproxen, which is mm-hmm. Trexamet. It's uh, really cheap, too. Yeah, I'm sure. It's probably like pennies. Um, Surely it's only brand name as well. Uh, but there's also um, sumatriptan nasal spray for mm-hmm. uh, situations where patients are having trouble keeping things down because I don't think we actually mentioned it, but nausea vomiting is a very common part of migraines and I think even part of the diagnostic criteria frequently. Um, it's nausea or vomiting. Nausea or vomiting, yeah. yes. So um, we'll talk about it too, but a lot of antiemetics come into play, but... Um, that's one place where an intranasal formulation might be helpful. And there's also transdermal sumatriptan formulation, which would also be helpful in that situation as well. Mm-hmm. So one quick note about the triptans. There are several triptans that are actually have been shown in clinical studies to help prevent or help treat menstrual migraines. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, sumatriptan, but also eMERGE or narotriptan, zolmatriptan, zomig, um, or frovatriptan, also known as frova. Um, are also recommended for menstrual migraines specifically because of their long half-life. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Frova's half-life is about 25 hours, which is great um, for women with Mm -hmm. menstrual migraines. And then Emerge is about 5.5 hours. So a lot shorter, but -hmm. it still works. Correct. Hmm. Cool. Has there been, I mean, I've seen a couple on like update and things like that, but like as far as like comparative studies, is there any like good data you've seen being there that is, I mean, it seems like with that many, other than just looking at the kinetics and how quickly it's going to be absorbed Mm -hmm. with the half-life, it seems like it'd be hard to kind of 
choose one is it a lot of just what they've tried in the past or what their insurance will cover and all that yeah just a good clinical feeling of okay i think this because of this medication's half-life or its kinetics i think it's going to work best in this patient because of these specific reasons so what's your go-to trip, Dan, if you're going to go with one? Imitrex. Yeah. It's got a lot of different routes of administration. Um, it's usually pretty pretty good. And I guess it, it's dispensed so often, hopefully one of the cheaper ones and more likely to be covered by insurance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, frequently, which for all you prescribers out there, it's it's helpful for auditing purposes if um, we, we the as the pharmacist, we know how many headache days they have per month Mm. as well as like, you know, the max dose that you want, even though we know what it's supposed to be. If you put that on the script, it's very helpful. That's good to know. That way insurance doesn't bug us about stuff. Cole literally will not give you medicine unless you bring your headache (laughs) journal. (laughs) I need to see all the headaches. Give me your headache journal. I will document it. I know. I try to tell him. He doesn't listen. (laughs) He's a bully. Mike's just like, everybody have meds. Give them to everybody. Fight the insurance companies. (laughs) So some other abortive medications that can be used as well. Um, we see a lot of patients on Fioraset, mm-hmm. um, Midrin as well. I don't know if I'm saying that correctly. Um, actually, a lot of pharmacies don't carry that medication anymore. Yeah, I, I haven't seen that one in quite a while. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I remember when I was younger, like when I was like 18, 19, 20, like when I was a technician still before, you know, undergrad stuff. Yeah. I remember seeing that Quite a bit. Was that the one? That wasn't the one that went off the market, then came back on. It was, was it? yeah. Okay, yeah. Because um, they mentioned they took off the market for a little bit, and they it's back now. Uh-huh. Um, because they took something I out. Very of it rarely, something. yeah. I very rarely see it. I thought it was like giving people like heart attacks or strokes or something like that. I can't remember. Don't quote me on that. But it was definitely taken off. I thought in the um, early two thousands, but I guess that would have been before Mike's time. So. Mm. Maybe it wasn't then. Mm, maybe not. <laughs> maybe not. <laughs> Never know. Yeah, so that's an option. So uh, you see NSAIDs a lot. I mean, does, is you're like, yeah, do you recommend keeping over-the-counter stuff on board while you're doing triptans, or do you say, well, let's let's kind of focus on the, the sole migraine meds? If they respond to it, yes, as long as they're not overusing it. We'll mm-hmm. talk a little later about medication overuse headache. Yeah. Um, that can be pretty complicated when a patient comes in with migraines and medication overuse headache and trying to kind of parse out which is which and how to best treat them and how many migraines are they actually having a month and how many are related to medication overuse. Yeah, Don't you have to almost like wean them off of the medication again? It's pretty terrible. Yeah. Jeez. You have to tell them to basically just stop and you're going to have a rebound headache for mm. like four to nine days. Jeez. It's going to get worse before it gets better. Yeah. And that's something I hadn't really, I was not familiar with at all. Medication overuse headaches. Yeah. And, but I feel like since you started working, I hear about that all the time. Mm-hmm. You know. Is it pretty common to have people come in that have been just self-treating like crazy? Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, I had one patient who was taking 36 Tylenol a week. Jeez. Bye-bye liver. I know. That's what I told her. <laughs> I said, we need to cut back on that a little bit. Um, wow. But yeah, medication overuse headaches. Um, typically the headache will be present for more than 15 days per month. Um, usually it has to be, you have to overuse the medication for more than three months for it to technically qualify as a medication overuse headache. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So simple analgesics, um, you have to use for more than 15 days a month for more than three months. But things like opioids or triptans or combination medications, you have to use for more than 10 days per month for more than three months. Really? Mm-hmm. It's kind of technical. Yeah. But, I mean, you know, it's you have to put, you have to put, you know, uh, words and 
rules to things so you can mm-hmm. diagnose it. You're right. You're right. And put well that on put. the paper. <laughs> words, <laughs> words and uh, rules. Words and rules. Words and rules. So we always say on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> We're very eloquent. Have you ever noticed? Extremely. <laughs> we have broad vocabularies. I know 17 words. I had, I had a, a technician, I think she was from the north, tell me that I didn't have a thick southern accent, and I, I was very appreciative of that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's good to know. I don't know if it's true. All you people in California that listen, which we have a huge following in California. Really? I know, yeah. it's weird. Tell us how hick, hick-like we sound. Oh, I hope not too much. Oh, I don't sure think so. You don't think? No. Well, we had, um, what was his name? Tall guy? Um, man, I can't remember his name. Photographer. One of your oh, students. Oh, Blake. Blake. Oh, yeah. yeah well, yeah. that's a completely, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Poor Velocchia's accent's real thick. Yeah, a little twang. <laughs> <laughs> no, for sure. Well, see, I think that people who don't live around South Carolina, they uh-huh. think that we all just sound like that. Yeah, they I think they do. realize that, like, in different areas. Well, we've talked about this. I've talked about the, what were they, hook, hookworms? Yeah. That, yeah, I've talked about that. Yeah. That gave us the association with Southerners being dumb. I'll tell you <laughs> about it later. I'll tell you about it later. <laughs> it's in episode blah, blah, blah back in the day. I've, I've talked about okay. it at some point. Anyways. You don't want to miss it. <laughs> yeah, no, apparently you definitely not. want to tune in for that. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's other migraine meds. There's older ones, um, ergot derivatives. You, I was like, hey, Anna, do you guys ever prescribe this? She was like, no, no, we, really. we don't use this. Um, but they are out there, and I think they're kind of the originals. Um, they are supposed to act by counteracting the dilation of the extracranial arteries and arterioles. So they act almost purely on that um, uh, vascular theory of migraines. Uh, but there's ergotamine, dihydroergotamine, which sounds a little more common. So that one, actually, the spray is FDA indicated for migraines, okay. but the other two forms. I haven't okay. seen it dispensed. Have you seen it? Mm-mm. No, so I doubt it's used often, but it's out there. Mm-hmm. It's out there. I mean, is there a reason, like the um, ergotamines, I mean, is there a reason where you would just, that would be your go-to for a certain type of patient? Or just if other therapies have failed, you just give that one a shot? Yeah, I mean, I guess if other therapies have failed, but we have so many good medications mm-hmm. that work in patients, I, I've never prescribed it. Yeah. Gotcha. I and guess I've, now with the new stuff, you would go to the new stuff as your fallback as opposed to that. So Yeah. Isn't ergot, like, well, was the, one of the reasons for the like the Salem witch trials and all that? People they, oh, yeah, oh they, they do associate, they, what are they called? Like they call moldy it, bread or something? Yeah, they call it like... Um, <gasps> Like a like a mass yeah. a mass hysteria, and they think it was brought on by like ergot poisoning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Whoops! Oops! <laughs> a lot of witches died back That's then. That's terrible. Yeah, and they were just like, "Huh?" Oh, here's here. I just looked it up. So, <laughs> thanks Google. <laughs> Toxic. Uh, do not consult Doctor Google. Everybody that's listening, uh, yeah. that is very frustrating. I do it all the time. <laughs> Um, so toxicologists know that eating ergot contaminated foods leads to a convulsive disorder characterized by violent muscle spasms, vomiting, delusions, and hallucinations. So, Including thinking the next door neighbor who's just trying to plant stuff in her garden is a witch. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. It's crazy. Ergot poison. I'd be so angry. I know. Oh. If you were the witch? Yeah. I'd be like, dude, really? <laughs> like, seriously? You just ate some moldy bread because you didn't want to go to the store. You're and now, tripping out and now I got to burn at the yeah, stake. That's ridiculous. Fun fact, LSD is a derivative of ergot. Mm, that makes yeah, sense. That sounds familiar. I think yeah. I do that. Cool. Don't do that one, guys. That doesn't help with headaches, I don't think. Maybe it does. Yeah. <laughs> the um, research isn't there. I think they're actually studying it for uh, depression mm-hmm. in um, PTSD. Mm. Uh, There's a lot of stuff like oh, psilocybin. Really? Military stuff like that. guys, yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Interesting. Interesting. I think there was a grand rounds on that. 
Anyways, other meds. So Tylenol, obviously, there's like 1,200 brand names for it, and it's mixed in all sorts of things, but uh, people frequently use that over the counter. Um, I even have a, a like opioids mentioned, but like eh, you don't use yeah. opioids for migraines. Stay far, far away yeah, from think, opioids think these and days, barbiturates. Yeah. I think these days we're going to kind of stay away from those. Yeah, the the Furanol, Furacet, all those. Like, I feel like people end up taking eight a day. Yeah. It's yeah. like, oh, I'm just preventing my migraine. Usually patients come to us on it. They've been tried on it by their say, primary care provider, and I we s- usually slowly take them off. I see it a lot, and I feel like that should be used for tension headaches more. Is it? Is it? Maybe. Or, okay, um, maybe it's for migraines. It but, but, yeah, we see that a lot. And, um, but it doesn't, all have, it doesn't all have coating. I mean, you can have it without the coating portion. Um, I mean, yeah, but what fun is that? Yeah, no fun. You're gonna want a little. The set doesn't have it. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, people talk about aspirin, but you eh, probably don't want to recommend that either, uh, for various reasons. But the NSAIDs, uh, generally, and um, sometimes they'll use Tylenol number three again, more codeine, but we tend to want to stay away from those. Have you seen anything uh, in it with ketamine? I've heard that there's some, there's been a few like small groups that are looking at ketamine instead of opioids to like, like dosing it very like infrequently and seeing if it reduces. I think there's actually some, a clinic in Charleston that's looking at that. Fascinating. Um, yeah. I didn't know if there's anything, if that's like a, been talked about at all or if that's just something people are Mm-mm. giving that a shot. Yeah. No, we haven't really talked about it, but that's, that's fascinating. Yeah. I'll have to look into that because that's. I feel like I keep hearing more and more about ketamine lately. Which I hear about ketamine for a lot of things. Yeah. It's like the, the I think that it is coming about because of the opioid, opioid issues. Crisis, yeah. So they're trying know. to find alternatives for. So why not give special K? Right. Yeah. <laughs> special <laughs> K. That's probably a better option. Um, uh, I, I think it probably does in some areas have better characteristics of, yeah. you know, less. Um, likelihood of uh, addiction and things because you're not taking it right. by yourself on your own. Yeah. Um, so I guess those are the main ones before we get to some of the backup stuff, right? Yeah. As far as abortive therapies go. And we're kind of mixing some preventative stuff with the abortive stuff as well. What, what about caffeine? So I Like mean, goodies? That or even just like with the caffeine that's in Excedrin and stuff. I mean, is, that, is caffeine pretty effective as far as a non-therapy, you know, therapy, so to speak? Mm-hmm. Um, does it seem to be actually something because i mean you'll see like the excedrin one of them is migraine mm-hmm. one of them is tension and they're the exact same right. thing it's just different colored boxes um see i always thought it was kind of fooey because i always figured that you're having a headache because you're withdrawing from caffeine because you really need that caffeine but i think the 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 pathophys idea behind it is that it increases absorption in the gut of the actual drugs not totally sure how that happens but that's the hmm. that's the theory so hmm. i don't know if it i mean do you see it work for people oh uh, yeah i mean people use medications with caffeine in it a lot well in the south so i wonder what it's like in different parts of the country but we have like an addiction to goodies powder and it's actually it's actually goodie it's not goodies um but i mean you know there's or maybe it is goodies i don't know i typed it out as goodies yeah well (laughs) there's 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 people who are like yeah i mean i gotta take a goodies powder every morning or i'm gonna just have a terrible headache and i'm like Mm -hmm. it's because you're taking like a million milligrams of caffeine a million. Um, a million milligrams Which of caffeine. A ton of milligrams. Surprising uh, they're alive. <laughs> and you're probably going to have a brain bleed because it's like 600 milligrams of aspirin every mm-hmm. morning as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. And the, the, the just the healthiest blood vessels. Yeah. Down in oh, the yeah. south, people yeah. love their goodies. Snort that stuff. 
They do. I don't even think they associate that with medicine because they act no. like goodies is some kind of special magic. I'm just, like, it's just aspirin. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like aspirin we talked caffeine. about, just yep. smash up aspirin and eat that. <laughs> no, it's no. goodies, man. It's worth that. <laughs> goodies is cool. I've had so many people in. tell me that. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, okay. They love it. Give yeah, them uh, what's those sweet tarts? Smash those bad boys up. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah. Same effect. Here's some green goodies. <laughs> it burns. <laughs> so that's the main stuff for abortive. So when we talk about some of the preventative things, um, yeah, some of these random stuff I, I thought was uh, more in, was, was interesting because I didn't really think they worked. But I mean, you use things like Topamax and mm-hmm. Elavil, and yeah, yeah. What, what, are some, what are some options? So preventative therapy is huge. Um, first, I think it's important to kind of talk about who meets criteria for preventative therapy. Mm-hmm. There actually isn't specific criteria for preventative therapy and in initiating it. Um, but if a patient has frequent, severe, disabling attacks, um, long-lasting attacks, or predictable attacks like a menstrual migraine, then they definitely qualify for preventative therapy. It's kind of a case-by-case scenario. Um, so there are several different classes of medication that we use for preventative therapy. There's antihypertensives, um, there's antidepressants, antiepileptics, and then some herbal supplements, vitamins, and minerals. Um, most commonly, I think I use topiramate and propranolol and Elevil mostly yeah. in clinic. That's what I hear of the most, too, as far as if you're going for something to prevent. Mm-hmm. So beta blockers are typically used more um, than like calcium channel blockers or ACEs or ARBs, which are sometimes used for migraine prevention. Um, but it's important to remember that any beta blocker, it can't be used in women who are planning on becoming pregnant. Mm-hmm. That's dangerous. Um, also, if they have asthma because of that beta right. action, um, you don't want to prescribe it to those patients either. And then you also need to look at their pulse and their blood pressure. I mean, if their pulse is 52, you don't really want to give them a beta blocker. Right. Um, there are several different therapies that you can consider for uh, prophylaxis. Yeah, so that's beta blockers. Um, mm-hmm. So what about what about Elavil versus like an SNRI, like uh, Cymbalta or something? Yeah, so most of the evidence, if you're going to use an antidepressant, is behind Elavil. Um, they recommend venlafaxine as well, but it's very weak evidence. Um, amitriptyline has been the best one. Yeah. We use that a lot also in patients who are post-concussion syndrome. Um, any patient that has like that three to one year long headache, just just not good functioning. Right. Um, you put them on uh, amitriptyline for that as well. Yeah. And uh, what's what's your major rate limiting step that you see for Topamax? Side effects, yeah. for sure. Um, I had some patients that responded really well to Topamax, but the numbness and tingling around the mouth, the mental cloudiness, mm-hmm. the tingling in their fingers, they just could not tolerate. So, I mean, the Dopamax is just a real thing. People, yeah. People, it's just... It's, it Dumbs is. And this was a healthcare professional. She's like, I can't be like this at my job. You know, I've got to be able to think quickly yeah. and sharply. Um, mm. But otherwise, it worked well. It decreased her migraine um, frequency from like eight a month to one. Really? Yeah. yeah. So maybe if like you had a patient that had migraines and also, or you needed to prevent, but also maybe weight loss, then mm-hmm. Topamax is a good option. Exactly. Or, or if they were like super, super smart 
and then you need to bring them down to your <laughs> yeah, level. Yeah, just need to. They, they could handle the dopa, that's the dopa max. Uh-huh. That's a good strategy. And then they're just like a normal person. You need every edge you can get. Yeah, so maybe they should start giving IQ tests before. To mm. Ben, mm. watch your food. Cole might be giving you some dopa max. Oh, okay, so he's just that much <laughs> smarter than me now. First so, of all, Ben is only slightly smart. <laughs> How's Ben doing? He's good. Yeah, good. He's, um, he's having a baby actually. Is he? Good he for is. him. And like, oh, I can't remember when. April. No. Oh. July. Oh, okay. Same thing. That was close. <laughs> That's basically April. Mid-year sometime. Yeah. Yeah, but he was on episode so-and-so back in the day, but he's been in here before, too. So this is my second family member we've got on the podcast. When's your mom coming to talk? Uh, no. Dad, anybody else yeah. want to talk? Oh, talk? your dad would love to be on this. Oh, yeah. Well, he'll come and talk about, um, I can't even talk about what, what he does because it's secret for the government. Oh, nice. Let's yeah. keep, definitely get him <laughs> on keep, here. Keep that going. <laughs> Oh yeah, he looks at Area 51, just in case anybody's wondering. <laughs> He's out in Nevada all the time. <laughs> That'd be so awesome. Or Nevada. Apparently they say Nevada if you're from there. Oh, please. I know. Changing words. <laughs> Anyways. So other stuff. So um, people use gabapin. People use Depakote. Um, do those work? Yeah, they do. Um, Depakote is something that we'll consider when we're kind of on the, the cusp of classifying someone as a chronic migraine and trying to get them qualified for Botox therapy, usually they have to try Depakote as well. Gotcha. But if they're a woman of childbearing age and they're not on effective, emphasis on the effective contraception, um, then they can't be put on Depakote. Yeah. I mean, I would be hesitant. It would be, I'd consider it dangerous for any you know woman of childbearing age to be on it. Mm-hmm. To pyramid as well, right? So also getting more yeah. X. And that can, um, can't that decrease the effectiveness of birth control? Topiramate? Yeah. I think there is some sort of a sip interaction. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think it can, I think topiramate can actually cause birth defects. Yeah. Um, it can. So. It can also cause acute angle closure glaucoma. Mm. Um, so you got to watch out for that and you got to tell patients about that if you're starting them on that therapy. What a random unfortunate thing to I know. happen. And kidney stones. Yeah. Mm, Make yeah. sure they're drinking a lot of water. Yeah. Um, but topiramate is FDA approved for migraine um, preventative therapy. Usually we'll titrate patients up to 100 milligrams over four weeks, and usually we see effectiveness um, at that dose. But they can be on anywhere from 25 to 200 milligrams to see effectiveness in therapy. And gabapentin, um, I feel like it can be used for literally anything now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But uh, yeah, migraine prevention. So that's, you yeah. see that work occasionally if you're trying to, you know, not a last ditch effort, but some other things. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, and it's great if a patient also has like a radiculopathy or if they have seizures and migraines. Um, these anti-epileptics are wonderful to hmm. put patients on. Interesting. Is there ever a case where you would put somebody on like two different prophylaxis or do you typically keep one agent and if that doesn't work, switch to a different one? So a lot of times you can start out with one agent, and if they have some benefit but not a lot, you can look at starting um, another class of medication. I haven't done that so much. Um, I've had some patients come to me on 200 milligrams of Topamax, and their migraines still aren't well controlled, but the patient does not want to stop the Topamax because they had some improvement with it. Mm. So then we'll start them on like Elevil or like Propranolol or something to see if there's any other benefit. But definitely one at a time to see which medication is working. Right. Cool. Makes sense. So those are some other preventative therapies. Mm -hmm. Another interesting um, therapy that has been shown to be effective. A lot of people talk about like magnesium Mm -hmm. or riboflavin or coenzyme Q or feverfew. 
um, as being effective. And there is some evidence that that helps. But butterbur is another um, herbal supplement, I guess. Butterbeer? <laughs> if only. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but butterbur um, is, is That's level That's a Harry Potter a. reference, Mike. Yeah, yeah. Is it? Yeah. Mike doesn't ever <gasps> get my TV references. Do you know Harry Potter? Yeah. Do you know Daniel Radcliffe? <laughs> Radcliffe? Do you know him? No, he doesn't know him. Uh, yeah, Do you know who he, he is now? That's the dude that plays Harry Potter, right? She would be appalled yeah. if you didn't know. Oh, I, man. Oh, I know. I'm a hardcore Harry Potter Cole, fan. Cole, why would you call me out in the middle of the podcast? I know. Well, we went to we went to um, Universal Studios in Harry Potter World. Dude, it was awesome. Uh, I, I So I've never sat through a single second of Harry Potter oh. ever. Um, so. And I still thought it was awesome just because I was like, this yeah. place looks yeah. super cool. No, it was great. We need to have you and Jen over to watch some Harry Potter. Yeah, you got to watch the Harry Potter movies, man. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we'll be right there. <laughs> Anyways. I like that you guys like it. <laughs> Thanks. Back back to the Butterbeer. Um, so so Butterbeer is a level A um, prophylactic Is it therapy. really? Mm-hmm. Level A. Yeah, so level A um, by the American Headache Society and American Academy of Neurology. Um, their 2012 guidelines say that Depakote... Um, anywhere from 400 to 1,000 milligrams a day, um, metoprolol 47.5 to 200 milligrams a day, um, propranolol, like we talked about, timolol, topiramate, and butterbur are all on that list. Hmm. Is that over the counter? Yes. Interesting. Never seen it. Butterbur. Butterbur. It's good for patients who want... Sounds delicious. It does. right. It's good for patients who want more of a homeopathic approach. Yeah, they want to give that a shot. Yeah, for those I guys. prefer my medications to work, but that's just me. <laughs> I heard one farm. I had to. I had to say it. I make somebody who's listening mad. They do work. <laughs> my essential oils are amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I just lost like three followers. Which yeah. is that now. Sorry, guys. Boom! Just now. Boom! Just now. Make I had essential to. oils. I was like, don't say it. Don't say it. I was like, yeah, say it. <laughs> no filter. Um, so cool. Yeah. So that's, um, some preventative therapies. Yeah. So a couple of other really cool ones that I'm, I'm interested in talking about are the new injectables <laughs> as well as Botox. I really did not think yeah. that was used as much as it's used. Oh, it's used a lot. Yeah. A lot, a lot. We have an attending who all she does on Friday is Botox. Hmm. Really? She yeah. actually, does she administer or does she just work people up for it? Oh no, she administers it. Oh, yeah. really? It's 31 injection sites. Um, See, I had this in my mind that you go to some like um, spa, you know, <laughs> but you just puff official of the you, wall. No, you bring your prescription though, and you just hand it to them. Spa, <laughs> come from a Botox. It's more of a Greek bath. <laughs> oh my gosh, no, it's uh, far from that. Yeah, hey, I've I've actually heard several people though that said that when they switched over and were getting Botox treatments, that it was completely took the migraines away. That's yeah. great. We um, dispensed it from the pharmacy one time. Did you for mm-hmm. injection? Yeah. Just, just like take methotrexate. it back to the clinic. Yeah, hmm. yeah, yeah. So we can talk about that if you guys want to. Yeah. So, so what? When, when do you use it? Why do you use it? As opposed, is it just last ditch effort when other things aren't working, or is there some time where you might say, yeah, you you're going to be good for Botox before we try this other stuff? Yeah. So actually, Botox therapy is only approved for chronic migraine patients. Okay. I'm sure, you've seen the commercials, the plenty of commercials on TV um, about the new Botox therapy. But for someone to be classified as having a chronic migraine, they have to have 15 migraine days per month. So kind of interesting, and I had to learn this as I was going throughout my fellowship, is that if a patient has four quote-unquote migraines a month, those migraines can last anywhere from four 
hours to days. Right. And so you'll multiply however many migraine episodes they have by the days, and that's how many migraine days they Uh, have per month. So that's why they say migraine days and not Mm -hmm. migraine episodes. That makes so much more sense now. Yeah. So when you think about it that way, a lot of people do qualify for Botox therapy. Mm. So that means that half of their month, so literally half of their life is spent with a a migraine Mm -hmm. during that day. A debilitating headache. That's crazy. That's terrible. Yeah. So they usually have to fail some of the preventative medications we talked about. It depends on their insurance, um, how many they have to fail. Um, But I typically see if they fail one from each class or two from one class and then two from two other separate classes, then usually it'll be approved, which is good. Um, It's pretty expensive if you were just try to pay for it outright. mm -hmm, Yeah. Like thousands or... Um, Honestly, I'm not sure. I had one patient who, this is not in South Carolina, but in another state, she had to pay $1,000 on top of her insurance. Oh my god! What her insurance already covered each time she went. And it's done every... Every three months. Gotcha. Mm. But it worked for her. So she was willing to pay for it. Yeah, I I guess if you're having half your month spent, like that's... Yeah, pretty reasonable. I mean, not reasonable. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. I would be. Yeah. If you had the that means, stop. then right. it's definitely worth it. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So Botox therapy was approved for chronic migraines in 2010. Um, it involves 31 different injection sites, hmm. uh, which can be limiting to some patients who are deathly afraid of needles, especially because it's in your face. Right. Basically. Right. So they inject above your eyebrows. They inject the frontalis muscle, the temporalis muscle the occipitalis muscle um, behind your head or behind your skull, and then your cervical paraspinal muscles and your trapezius muscle. Hmm. So it's a lot, but it can be done within 15 minutes. And I was interested to hear, so how do they decide on those places? They just start sticking people and find out like, oh, so not your kneecap. (laughs) We're going to want to put this in your head. So interesting. Um, I actually learned this from my attending. So Of course, you know, Botox therapy was originally used for people who want to get rid of wrinkles in their face and to look younger. And so doctors would do this therapy for them. And then the patients would come back months later and said, you know, I I look great, but my headaches also got better. And so they started investigating. And I guess because of these sites, and I'm sure they honed it more as they did trials for it, but they realized that these locations were good. Hmm. Well, as, as I guess as it turns out, people don't really care about wrinkles on their calves. They care about it on their face. Stop. So that was where they were originally stuck. So uh, No, I definitely don't want wrinkles on my calves. Yeah, I mean, wrinkly calves. I mean, <laughs> Nobody likes that. Talk about unattractive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Find some Botox pretty soon, probably. So does this actually help cosmetically, too? Is that like a, a strange side effect yeah, of it all? Yeah, it can. We <laughs> joke with patients that, oh, and you'll get rid of some wrinkles. Yeah. Well. <laughs> it's the best of both worlds. Fabulous. That's hilarious. Yeah, so they have to come in every three months to get this done. And usually when we start them on Botox therapy, we'll also keep them on any preventative medication that has worked in the past. And we'll ask them to keep a headache diary um, so we can really track the progress of the Botox therapy. Sometimes it can take up to three sessions before they start seeing um, improvement in their migraines. Yeah. And before we um, get in finish up with these injectables, I guess we meant to mention the triggers are very important. We talked about triggers, but counseling on trigger avoidance is mm-hmm. obviously important. And so keeping a, a migraine headache diary, like you just mentioned, is important at the initial stages of diagnosis. So you can, especially if people don't know what their triggers are necessarily, right. I guess trying to help them figure that out. Yeah, usually they figure out pretty fast. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Anyways, so 
New injectables. Uh, there's three. Uh, it's Amavig, um, Age of E, and Imgality. That's my best. Mm-hmm. That's my Age best Ovi. shot. Age of E. Age of E. Okay. Mm-hmm. Come on, Cole. Uh, that's okay. Usually he's the one that corrects me on how to pre- oh, how I pronounce I? things. Well, I'm the pharmacist, so whatever I say goes. Boom. <laughs> oh, it's not just medication. <laughs> oh, is that right? Getting <laughs> <laughs> a little feisty. Calling you I out. Am, I am. Uh, but these are all monoclonal antibodies. We don't have to pronounce those. Um, and Amovig was the first one, right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, so Amavig, it comes in either 70 milligrams or 140 milligrams. It's actually a CRGP receptor antagonist, um, which the calcitonin gene-related peptide, um, that's what it stands for, is a trigeminally derived vasoactive peptide. So recently they discovered that, not recently, I guess it's been ongoing for years, um, that this peptide is involved in migraine initiation, um, and so they discovered and developed this medication that can affect those ligands or proteins and the receptors that they bind to. So it just prevents them. Mm-hmm. Do you like it? Does it work? Um, so I've started two patients on it. Okay. Um, there's not a lot of long-term safety data, so I'm mm-hmm. kind of hesitant to start patients on it. But if they failed everything and our hands are just tied, I, I'll start them on it. But some patients are really receptive to it. Um, and I, I think I'm becoming more accustomed. Remember, I'm a young PA, so I'm kind of hesitant to prescribe certain medications. Nonsense. Yeah. <laughs> just got to go for it. Yeah. <laughs> Buyer beware. You just got to go for it. No, I am much more conservative. <laughs> so to ha- do, you, do you have concerns with side effects? Um, anything um, in particular? Or? Well, not really. The most common side effects are just injection site reactions. Mm-hmm. Um, with Amavig, they also had constipation, um, but all the other ones, the most common side effect was the injection site reactions. And the, this one's a once a month injection. Correct. So Amavig, it's a CR, CGRP um, receptor antagonist. It's a monthly injection um, in either the abdomen, upper arms, or the thigh as well. Um, and at four to six months, just in trials, they saw a decrease of about three migraine days per month. Um, and at the beginning of those trials, their mean migraines were um, eight. So okay. hmm. almost in half. Yeah, yeah, almost in half. So you, you, you'd probably use it in combination with other preventative medications as well. Along A lot of times we'll add it to Botox therapy. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other two, they're pretty similar, basically the same. So would you really go with Amovig? For the most part, or is there a time when you would try to use one of these? Yeah, so that's where our, um, I guess, clinic pharmacist, is that what I say? Clinical pharmacist. Clinical pharmacist, that's where she comes in handy. Whenever we see patients in the same building that she's located in, we can actually send the patients to her at the end of the visit. She'll show them all of these different medications and demonstrate that to them, and then they can decide which one they want because they're all pretty much the same. Yeah, and I guess it depends on whether she thinks she'll be able to get it covered or give them some type of copay assist mm-hmm. or trial period, something like that. Right, which, yeah, exactly. Um, the only thing that is kind of patients are kind of hesitant about is Ijovi is a syringe. Um, right, as opposed to an auto-injector type mm-hmm, thing. Exactly, and they actually came out last, so that was interesting that they didn't change their administration yeah. Route. Um, because Imgality, I don't know if I'm saying that correctly, and Amavig are both um, auto injectors. Gotcha. I think it's a similar auto injector to like the Rapatha. Yeah. Probably mm-hmm. one, isn't it? Yeah. 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 PCSK9s. 
And um, I was actually reading something today from uh, Journal Watch Neurology mm-hmm. that was talking about um, Amavig, I guess, was the the results of the, that everybody kind of quotes from that was actually the phase two okay. trials. Yeah. Um, and that uh, the other two are the only ones that actually have solid, like, phase three with chronic migraine. Oh, yeah. Um, so I thought that was kind of interesting that the other one still was published for or um, approved first and, yeah. and all that. But there's um, there's an article in Journal Watch talking about uh, I think it's titled uh, what is it which anti CGRP antibody to choose first for chronic migraine. Mm. And so it's a quick comparison. What did yeah. they think or did they just compare them? It, the other two besides Amavig, they were saying the you know benefits were kind of negligible as far as which one's better than the other. Mm-hmm. But his point was uh, I'll, I'll quote him here. Um, that uh, Amavig showed an impressive result of mean reduction of 6.6 days per month. It was tested only in phase two clinical trials for chronic migraine in the Lancet Neurology 2017. Comparing mm. phase three trial data with the other two, it did slightly better um, at reducing headache, or uh, galcanezumab did slightly better um, at reducing headaches. And gality okay. is the gal. But the difference is negligible, so yeah. not clinically significant. Okay. Cool. So, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. I feel bad for, for ragging on a Jovi. Um, so one benefit to it is that you can... I don't feel bad for those guys. <laughs> I'm sure they're making plenty of money still. Yeah, they could have come up with a better name, too, that I, it was easier for me to pronounce. Fremenezumab? I mean, seriously. I know, that's a mouthful. That's, that's, showing, that's showing off. Yeah, they're just showing off. They, so, they had to be the longest name. They had to have the most letters. Mm-hmm. Kind of like Mike behind his name. Jerks. <laughs> So it's, it's dosing is usually 225 milligrams, but you can load the dose um, and do 675 milligrams every three months mm. instead of monthly like the other medications. But you also have the option to do just the 225 a month um, each month. So. so that's where they get you, that mm-hmm. three-month thing. Yeah, if you're willing to inject yourself that's with That's the a selling syringe. point. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty cool. So we'll... Um, I guess, I mean, is there anything else really to go in depth with that stuff? That's kind of the new, there's another one, the fourth one in that class, I think is scheduled for 2020. Really? So, um, I'm sure you guys can hear my dogs barking. They wait till the last episode or the last (laughs) couple minutes. Well, at least they were polite and waited till the end. I'm just going to go ahead and call it out like it is because I know you guys are like, what is that noise? (laughs) Um, The dogs are basically a part of the podcast. Yeah. They're they're as much a part of the podcast as Steve is. Yeah, that's true. Well, actually, Pete, remember when Steve is gone because we got Pete now and Pete's still in Germany. Is he still he's still in Germany? He was in Germany he's last episode. Supposed to be here <laughs> filming our podcast, and he's, he's working on robots in Germany. So well, that's cool. Slow. Yeah, well, it's, that's I mean, well, cool. let's not get carried away. So our podcast needs, is probably as cool, if not better. So he needs to bring a robot back that we can incorporate into the podcast. Oh my mm. gosh, could you imagine? Need to add it to the wall. Yeah, I do. Create a new ledge. If he doesn't come back with a robot, he's he's done. <laughs> he's he's fired. Over. We're getting a new Pete. <laughs> yes, I just need to find another engineer who's willing to work for free. <laughs> that's <laughs> like diamond, a dime a dozen, right? Yeah, I mean, they're all over the place. Oh, man. Well, Anna, thank you so much for taking the time to come out and talk to us. I Thanks know we said it was going to be a 20-minute podcast, and we keep you here <laughs> over an hour. That's how we do it. We lull you into a full sense of security. <laughs> that was good. That was good migraine overview. We'll take yeah. on the other headaches later on. Thanks yeah. for having me. Absolutely. I think this is good because what we'll do is we'll stick with these, like, real kind of basic overviews, mm-hmm. and then that gives us the whole, like, let's go deeper the next yeah. time around yeah. when we so run one, out of topics. So once we're at episode 500, we'll finally be able to go deep into the topics. <laughs> finally. <laughs> yeah, finally. Uh, so the, the world holds its breath. <laughs> <laughs> 
Cool. Well, thank you guys so much for listening. Um, thank you guys for the support. I really appreciate the, the ratings, the comments we've gotten, the emails. Those really do mean a lot to us. Um, so, you know, anything we can do to improve, we are all ears. We definitely want to keep this show getting better and better. So um, we are always looking for feedback and pointers. And, uh, yeah, if you guys do like the podcast, make sure you subscribe, leave a comment, and we will catch you guys next time. See ya.